This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we are going to review Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 6, The Spy Humongous. But as always, we are going to start with the news. And there's some news from Paramount. It's business news, which means I would really like Tony to <laughs> Well, it, it is a typical management shakeup, although media reports are describing it as an ouster, in fact. Ooh. So it's a dramatic business report. Yes. And it's a bit surprising. So the guy who's ran Paramount for the last four and a half years or so, named Jim Giannopoulos, who's an old school Hollywood guy, was at Fox, has done a good job at Paramount. Because if you guys remember, Paramount was in bad shape. And, you know, every everyone thought he was doing a good job and he's out. And the reason he's out is because Sherry Redstone, who controls Viacom CBS, is obsessed with goosing up the numbers for Paramount Plus and wants Paramount Pictures to participate more in that. And apparently Jim was resisting that because he thinks movies should be in movie theaters. And this is a big debate happening in Hollywood. You know, Disney Plus has been doing things hbo has been doing things with this disney ended up getting sued you know for black widow scarlett johansson sued them when they put something on disney plus so it's a it's a bone of contention obviously studio by studio but sherry found someone within the organization named brian robbins who's currently running nickelodeon and he sold her on the idea of yeah i could get paramount pictures to work more with paramount plus and what that probably means is um, movies going straight to Paramount Plus, some day and date, like there's one out in theaters now called Paw Patrol, which you know may not be your bag, but it's actually doing <laughs> well. You know, there may be some exclusives, there may be some what they call short windows. Lately, they've been saying they want to do 45 days, you know, but some directors are really hate, hate that. Yeah, I think uh, Christopher Nolan is one of them raising a big stink about it. It's definitely a, a huge discussion within the whole industry right now. So that's kind of the, the high level thing. So Jim wrote a big memo. You know, he's still there. He's working, you know, as they say, in transition. So he'll be there for the rest of the year. And in the memo, he mentioned Star Trek, uh, you know, amongst all the movies that they've been making. And he mentioned with new films in the works, you know, and we're taking that as another confirmation that, you know, what we've been reporting, which is that there's, you know, a Star Trek movie on the books for 2023. They've actually put it on their calendar, which is a confirmation. Um, they've hired a director. They've, you know, the script is written, but they've also, you know, uh, put a script in development from Kalinda Vasquez. It's a different person. So, you know, we think that, as of now, you know, we're not that concerned with the impact this has on Star Trek. We think that they are still committed to Star Trek. There's two things I worry. There's one thing I worry about and one thing that could actually be good. Okay. So, yeah. Start with the worried. Okay. The worry is that maybe the new chief will take a look. You know, well, one is the political thing of these new movies have been put in place by J.J. Abrams and by Emma Watts, both predate this guy. He doesn't know them. Emma came over from Fox. Jim brought her over. And you know how office politics works. It's like, you know, is is the new guy going to like Emma Watts? Because Emma Watts likes big tentpole movies. Um, in fact, that's why she 
shut down the Noah Hawley movie, right? Because it wasn't big enough for her. Right. It wasn't big. Uh, yeah, it was more uh, cerebral, I think. Apparently, he is more keen on movies for younger audiences and cheaper movies and lower budget movies. And so, you know, that could certainly have an impact on things. And we've certainly seen how, bud- you know, budget is what killed the Chris Hemsworth movie, right? Because they didn't have the cash to pay Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. Um, and that movie died, even though they hired a director. So are they going to run into the same thing with the Matt Shackman movie for 2023 with the new direction of the studio? Right. That's- like, is that going to kill our chances of getting a new Star Trek movie? So, yeah, what's the potentially good thing? Well, the potentially good thing is this, you know, focus on Paramount Plus. Hopefully that means because Star Trek is so associated with Paramount Plus that Paramount Pictures will be looking to leverage off that and create maybe some movies that will work well within that environment which we've talked about is something we'd like to see yeah unless they feel it's oversaturated unless they feel like what's the point of making a star trek movie because all the trekkies are already subscribing well then it's i mean there are a lot of ways you could go with that but then it can also be if you pick you know an older trek star that you love and put them in it then you'll get the older fans who are like i don't watch the new stuff but they'll watch something yeah somebody in it certainly i think the the idea that this guy wants to make smaller cheaper movies that are more geared for paramount plus maybe they're simultaneous releases or they have a short theatrical window or even exclusive releases for paramount plus i could see that working well for star trek potentially but you know we're just you know we're in management shakeup territory and you know i mean what's amazing is paramount has just gone through a chairman and ceo tenure without releasing a Star Trek movie. I think he may, I mean, I need to look at the history, but I think since 1979, there hasn't been anyone in that job who hasn't released a Star Trek movie. Um, He put a hell of a lot of them into development while he was there, you know, the Tarantino one and Star Trek four. And, you know, he he was at, at CinemaCon two years ago, he was talking about how they had two Star Trek movies going. So, you know, it's not for lack of trying, but it just never, you know, it's like a Jenga tower. And uh, you pull one piece out and it all falls apart. And so, you know, there is a 2023 movie out there and there's a Jenga tower that says June 9th, 2023 on it. And what we don't know is, you know, who's reaching to pull pins out of that Jenga tower or are people now, you know, or does it look even better? You know, are they ready to? Yeah, no, we're left not knowing, basically. No big conclusions. But I'm I'm hopeful. I like that Jim mentioned Star Trek, even though he never got one out the door during his travels um, at Paramount. He still, you know, gave thumbs up to the Trek team on his way out the door. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So let's switch to Paramount Plus TV shows. Sure. We can start with Star Trek Picard because you interviewed, we talked a little bit about this last week, but you interviewed Akiva Goldsman on the red carpet and we talked about some of the things that he said, but there are a few others. I just, I finally got to see your, we have an article up on the site now, so it has the full interview in it and has, he's an elusive creature, isn't he? Oh, he is. (laughs) I mean, I've met him before, but something about when you do an interview with him, he's just, he's cagey. You know, like when I asked him about Whoopi Goldberg, is she in it? 
and he literally wouldn't say anything. I know, like, when you talked about that last week, I think we talked about it, and you said, oh, he didn't say anything, and I thought, I kind of didn't realize you meant he literally didn't say anything. Like, he stopped speaking. Yeah, he just gave me this funny look. And I dug. I'm like, is she in season three? Is she in, just in season two? Like, is she anywhere? Is she under the carpet? You know, and he just looked at me with this look. And what's funny is, you know, very often when we, you know, because we do a lot of exclusive interviews, yourself, myself, others on the team, other websites pick up what we do, right? And I, I forget which websites. One of the big movie websites did a whole article about Akiva Goldsman not answering the Whoopi Goldberg question. <laughs> they thought that was the most interesting thing from our interview, which I yeah. actually did, didn't think was the most, because I'm almost certain she's in it and they're just holding that um, close to their chest. But I, I still found that interesting. I mean, the, the thing I found most interesting was, was digging into you know the, the thing about the Borg Queen and he talked about the utility of Borg Queen, but basically then turned that question around and actually answered a different question which is he said that this season is all about Jean-Luc Picard's history, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've said this before. That's exactly what I want to hear. I don't, even if he's back in Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard, the, the, the show should not be about him, you know, facing, you know, doing what Discovery's doing, which is some new menace has come into the galaxy and it's evil and it's doing things and it's a gravity anomaly or whatever it is. That's not his job. There's, you know, Starfleet's got people for that, right? Mm -hmm. In any in any century, this show's got to be about him. Well, it is called Star Trek Picard. Yes, uh, but it, it has proven to be a a deep dive into who he is as a person. And that seems to be the case. So the the whole trial, everything about this, the whole Q connection, it's all coming back to being about him. But I don't think the board queen is about him per se i think that q is about him the trial right and all of that um, and the board queen as we've talked about is seems like it might be a time travel vehicle or something like yeah, that yeah she looks cool though so yeah she's such a great actress too so i'm excited well i thought it was interesting you were trying to you know do this whole season two and three thing and find, you know, you did verify that they're completely separate stories. But, you know, he'd always talked about how with season one, how he felt like they didn't really have the whole thing mapped out. And that was a problem. And you, you I wouldn't say grilled him, but you pushed him a little bit about like, did you learn your lesson and fix it? And for season two, so that you knew where everything was going. And he didn't seem entirely certain, ready to commit to say, yes, he did that. I mean, here's what I'm hoping that they realize that they overpromised and underdelivered in season one, and that he's, you know, um, so he said he certainly hopes that they've learned their lessons and figured it out. You know, he it was kind of cute what he was saying of like, well, I haven't seen the you know finished version of the last two episodes they shot a couple weeks ago, but you know, he wrote them, so he should know if they, you know, paid them off in the script. So, um, you know, he said that they definitely made the effort to do it that way. He can, he confirmed that they literally started season three right after they finished season two. And so we know they're doing that now. Terry we knew Mitala, that anyway, but yeah. Terry Metalis has been tweeting from the set. He's tweeting pictures of what's clearly not La Serena, some Starfleet ship, you know, just little close-ups of like a red alert sign or things like that. So we still 
haven't seen what this ship is, but there's something going on there for sure. I want season three to be the end of it because I like shows that end and they know they're going to end and they're written to end. And I, yeah, I get the sense that that is the plan, but he's open to doing more, which means because they've already, you know, they're working on season three now. Yeah. He said they do as many seasons as Patrick Stewart wants to do, but he sees one, two and three as a single story with three separate stories. Right. And he definitely indicated that's basically all they've planned for at the moment. Picard doesn't need to die at the end necessarily. Although, I mean, I always thought that Picard should die at the end. But now that they've resurrected him, it'd be like lame if they killed him again, I guess. Yeah. So, no, he doesn't uh, need to die at the end. And they, they, they already, yeah, they ruined that whole possibility. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I liked if they were. Do- I always thought doing a mini series of one season with him dying at the end would have been a fine. That would have, you know. But then they resurrected him, so yeah. I don't need him to die. I'm happy to just see him sitting in his vineyard. But it, his- for it to end, you know, for just to for it to feel like it's over, you know what I mean? Leave no questions at unanswered. Is my eh, point. I don't need that. I like. I like a nice. Like a nice, tidy ending. Yeah, I don't always need that. I'd be happy if it was just like him and Beverly hanging out in the vineyard holding hands at the end. (laughs) That's fine. I'm fine with that. You know, I I spoke to her briefly at the um, event as well. And either she's lying and good at it or she's not in season two at all because it's over and they finished shooting it. Nor does she plan to be in season three at this point. Oh, that sucks. Or 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 she's just good at. We've seen actors lie before to hide things, so you know it's hard to tell these days. Yeah, I guess. Well, they are actors. Exactly. They might not be exactly. lying so much as just acting. Acting. Yes. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to Strange New Worlds? Yes, I actually did speak to Kiva about Strange New Worlds, but we haven't put that interview on the site yet. And I haven't fully like digested it. So we'll have more from Akiva and from Anson and others. But we did have, we did a recap of the Strange New Worlds panel, which really was the only panel during Star Trek Day where people said anything significant, I would say. People said nice things. You could watch all the other ones. They're all on YouTube now. But this one we felt was worth kind of digging into and picking out some things, some of which we talked about last week. Both of us had hazy memories because it was like the morning after. We had a Star Trek day hangover without having had any alcohol. Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the things we, we briefly, you had heard something about a kitchen in maybe Pike's ready room or something. And I had missed that entirely, but apparently there's a kitchen in his quarters and they decided to do that after they were talking with Anson trying to get to the heart of who Pike is as a character. And they realized Pike's heart is Pike's kitchen. So people will come to Pike's quarters and instead of, you know, replicating food like Janeway did, he's actually going to cook for them, which is, I, I love that idea. I think it's great. It's like a new element. It's very telling about a character, I think. And it's something we haven't, you know, we've seen, you know, Riker had some funny cooking scenes, but I think this is going to be different. Cisco did some cooking too. Oh yeah, that's true. And he was good at it. But I think this is going to be like a thing. It creates a family atmosphere. I kind of like the the notion, although apparently the set is complicated and people stub their toes on things a lot. But 
they probably don't show that on maybe they do because that might make for some humor there was a lot of talk about in the panel about the sets and the ship and the bridge set and just how everything has been made to look real and functioning um and it seems like they've just really put a lot of effort henry alonzo myers you could tell he's the co-showrunner with kiva is a real fan you he talks about what it was like for him to go watch star trek the motion picture and how he sees this show in a, a similar way of like oh my god we've got all this money now we can show you know what it looks like to use a transporter room and have it look amazing and he's excited like a kid about it yeah so i think that's cool and their description of the set is really feeling like a ship like i went to the discovery set early early on like right you know very very beginning of first season and it had that same feeling like you could stand in the corridor and just feel like you are on the ship it didn't feel like a piece or a set and same with the bridge like it just well my i was on the shensho bridge but it just felt very real well i've always liked the shenzo bridge more the, the discovery bridge is built for filming yeah. Like the next generation bridge. It's just huge and crazy. And, and the captain's up on a pedestal and, and it, you know, the, the strange new world set, I'm sure they've got swing out walls and all the things to make it easier to work on like the original series did, but it's even more compact than it was. And it just, you know, from it, we, we put some screenshots in that article to show you just the glimpses we've seen. It looks fantastic. Everything looks great. And, and, and Spock's got a viewer now reaction. You know, we think Ethan Peck talked about how he didn't have a viewer before, but we think he did. It just didn't work. Now it works <laughs> and he gets to use it. You know, he gets to stare. I hope they don't make it too high tech. I hope it's just as low tech where he, he stares at a little hole and there's a little blue light. And then he delivers all this information. That's what I always loved on the original series. Cause Spock and McCoy both would have these, unreadable instruments in their hands and they'd look at it and then give you like these this insane amount of detail scientific detail about what they discovered and i'm always like how can how do they know like they're just looking at the same console with the buttons <laughs> whatever it is and then delivering all this detailed information because they know how to interpret it i mean it's it's if you think about it from a 1960s point of view it is a brilliant way to do something they simply couldn't do in those days i mean they kind of they tried it a little bit in the cage of having screens be dynamic and show data and information and the technologists didn't exist then right so they're like okay well, why don't we just have have him look at a blue light and then he could tell us what he's seeing and we'll imagine it yes. um you know and it's a great solution it's kind of you know, like uh, the transporter room was a, a solution because the ship doesn't land. Right. But it works. But although we will, of course, because now they can, there w the, the bridge will be full of screens with all sorts of information on it, which makes you wonder, you know, what's special about the thing inside the little blue light? Must, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like really detailed information that only can be done in there. Right. Perhaps the most controversial thing, which we talked about last week, was this whole idea of relationships and paying off relationships. We forgot one thing as we were talking about it, which was, well, are you talking about Spock's relationships specifically? Yeah. 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 So we had spec, you know, they talked about Spock is going to have, you know, maybe it was, they, were, they were talking about romance or some kind of personal relationship. We were speculating on 
Chapel or Uhura, which have, who both have histories with him, depending on what you're watching. But we forgot somebody because it's not someone who's been confirmed, but it's just kind of a, it's more than a rumor. But apparently they've cast someone as T'Pring. Um, now, so, this is, yeah, this, is, this wasn't is not, part of the, re- right. the reveal last week. This is all rumor, but, you know, we're saying there's more than a 50% chance. And especially now that he said this, because, you know, the question is, is there, was there a spark between them? Was there an attraction? It always felt like an arranged marriage, but he said there was a connection between them. Well, it was an arranged marriage, but they did mind meld at seven. Right, so they had this connection. I mean, for a Vulcan, though, she was a pretty cold fish, let's face it. But, you know. She was a cold fish. I mean, you should... I just finished reading, and the review is on our site, uh, The Autobiography of Mr. Spock by Una McCormack. And that... they talk, She talks about that. So you can get a little bit of background on that if you want. Um, but they did have a connection. But yeah, she totally was a cold, cold fish. No <laughs> argument there. <laughs> She wasn't such a good catch. Like, you know, I wanted Stun and Stun wanted me. I'm like, Stun can have you. You don't look like a lot of fun and neither does he. Go off and be boring together. Yes. Let's Baco do something cool with interesting people. (laughs) You know, and and this isn't new, but they, you know, emphasize that standalone stories, you know, Planet of the Week. But I really like something that Anson Mount said, which is it allows them to do the big stories and the Enterprise is the star. It should be. The ship was always a character. I think that's it for Strange New Worlds. Um, We can talk about Prodigy. You did a red carpet interview. Right. The Hageman brothers, who are the co-creators, and with Ben Hibben, who's the designer of the look of the show. He's the creative director. He's in charge with all the beautiful visuals that we've seen for the show. Um, And one thing that, you know, we've talked about on this podcast is who is this show for? You know, because Paramount keeps on saying, you know, this is the first Star Trek show for kids. You know, so I kind of wanted to like, are you, you know, are we talking eight-year-olds, 18-year-olds? What do you guys see it? And they didn't want to put a number on it. They just said, it's a show for people who are new to Star Trek. Right. And they said that it's a show about kids who live in an adult Star Trek world. Not like an adult, like X-rated. not like adult (laughs) movies but that that it's that it is the grown-up star trek world but all the main characters are kids and the other thing on the tone of the show is that their approach is always about mixing character action and humor and that they want that to be for every character so they even though some may be funnier like the jankum pug yeah, Jason Medzuka's character is obviously going to be funny, but you know they're going to spread it around. And what's interesting is these guys are also clearly Star Trek fans when you talk to them as well. And their entry to Star Trek, they said, was the movies, starting with Wrath of Khan. So they said they've always had this sort of vision of Star Trek as very cinematic, like big drama, big scope, um, which we're certainly already seeing in what we've seen of Prodigy. And even though it's set kind of around the TNG era, it unlike Lower Decks, which feels very TNG, not only the looks of the sets, but if, if you watch Lower Decks, and, and they've talked about this, they create shots and use angles and lighting like the next generation in Voyager. Yeah. 
And even though Prodigy is going to be in the same era, roughly, they're not doing that at all. No, no, it looks actually it does look much more uh, movie like. We've got like a, a couple little just kind of nailing things down. You know, it's definitely in the prime universe. I, I, I dug into the whole thing of, you know, you're starting the Delta Quadrant and they said they're not going to take a straight line back to the Alpha Quadrant. Right. But they did say that was kind of because it was Janeway's suggestion, hologram Janeway. Sure. You know, what else is she going to do? But but they are, you know, it is kids running the ship. So they're definitely not going to go the fastest way. <laughs> if you've ever been with kids in charge of a journey, then you know that it's going to be a, a long and winding road. <laughs> I don't know if this was obvious, but I wanted to nail down, and they did nail down, that the Janeway hologram was created after, and the ship was launched after Janeway came back from the Delta Quadrant. Right. And uh, But they didn't want to really get into the ship except to say that it is the whole... Re- you know, big mystery, which you kind of get from the trailer. Yep. Yep. And they also said one of the things I thought was interesting when I looked at the interview is that they said that they're the reason that, you know, we see some alpha quadrant species there. And they said there are some well thought out reasons why they're there. It didn't seem like that was going to be a main, a big important story point, but that they've thought it through. They didn't just randomly go, Oh, I remember these guys. And put them in. But and it's not connected to the ship. Because I thought there must like there's there's these the ship is on this planet and it's obviously from the Alpha Quadrant. And these people, these you know, the Medusan and the Precarian and the um Tellarite, yeah. So I thought there was a connection. They're saying there's no connection. But there is a reason. So I guess we'll find that out with the uh two hour or one hour premiere, uh, which is on October twenty eighth. And they've clarified now that that is two episodes. It's not a one hour, one episode. It's two episodes that they're airing on premiere day. So after that, we get eight episodes, some of which will overlap with the beginning of Star Trek Discovery in November when it launches season four. Right. That's exciting and terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Is that our transition to talk about Discovery? I think it's a good one. We just have a quick thing on Discovery this week, which is that Discovery won an Emmy for visual effects, which I frankly think was very much deserved. It's for the episode Sukal, which I think looked gorgeous. It won out over nominees of the shows The Crown, The Nevers, Vikings, and Umbrella Academy. Um, And it was their first win after three years of getting nominated. First win for this category. Yes. Yes, for the category. They they did win an Emmy for season one for makeup. Every Star Trek show except Picard now has won for visual effects. Uh, Picard was nominated but didn't win. Maybe they'll uh, fill that out by season two or three. Although eventually we're going to get into the thing, and this happened in the 90s, where... They're competing against each other. Yeah, we would see yeah. Voyager, those shows, and, and some of the same people will be competing against themselves in some of these cases. So, Well, the thing is, when you have when you have within a category, let's say multiple Star Trek shows, you split the vote because you have people who vote because they think Star Trek looks really cool. I mean, obviously, not everybody can vote on visual effects, and I know people take it seriously, but I know people also don't take it as seriously and definitely if you've got start you get people oh star trek and they either dismiss it or they pick one and then one doesn't win because they've divided it all up whereas if you just had one show 
nominated, it might get more votes. I think that's it for our TV shows. So something that sort of went unnoticed on Star Trek Day, because it was fairly brief, was a short clip from Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition 4K, which is coming to Paramount Plus next year. We did an article on that, had some comparison shots. Matt did that. And so just check that out on the site. It's just a reminder that we are going to get a Paramount Plus Star Trek movie next year, in a way. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be in 4K HDR. We still don't know if it's ever going to be released on Blu-ray or, you know, but probably. And speaking of which, earlier this month... The 4K Blu-rays came out for the first four Star Trek movies, and Matt has a very detailed review, so you'll want to check that out. Yeah, he's so good at that stuff. He covers everything that you could possibly want to know. So if you're looking for any details or information, is it worth your money? Should you do it? Go check out our review. He points out, and others like Mark Altman and Bill Hunt and others, that if you are one of those fans out there who likes physical media and likes 4k and hdr things and you want to see more of this then vote with your wallets and buy these things so that there will be more of them because it is a shrinking marketplace it's almost become a niche marketplace and hopefully this continues and we see the rest of the movies and maybe someday we'll see voyager and ds9 although i'm not holding my breath I I mean, I would love it. I just don't think that it's where they're going to put their time and money. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks, the beginning of the second half of season two, which is episode six called The Spy Humongous. (laughs) The Spy Humongous. Let's start with uh, some top level impressions there. What did you think? I thought it was very good. It's, It's a return to form in a way, which we can get into later, but... It's almost like a classic lower deck struct, you know, structure and storylines. Although they still they mix it up a little bit because we don't get Boimler and Mariner together, you know. So they they are still doing that kind of thing of mixing up the groupings, uh, you know. A lot of funny moments. They've moved on from a lot of these things left over from season one, so now we're kind of just the show's moving forward in a lot of ways, story wise and character wise. So I I really liked it. Yeah, I agree. I really liked it too. I thought that they they did like I thought there was great character development. Like we've seen that Mariner doesn't have loyalty issues with Boimler anymore. Like she tr- there's a trust there so that even when they weren't in the same place at the same time doing the same thing, there was still a connection. There wasn't like she didn't, you know, not believe that he was her friend anymore. I thought it was nice to see the uh the upper deckers actually doing a good job for the most part. I don't think we should use that term. I really don't. (laughs) They refer to them as the bridge crew. All right. (laughs) Let's call them the senior officers or the bridge crew. Um, They did a good job, I thought. They made one mistake, but otherwise did a good job. I thought it was funny. I thought it was very much about two things. It was about Star Trek itself, and it was about exactly what Lower Decks is supposed to be. And... There were a lot of poop jokes that were very funny. You know, I complained (laughs) in the past about certain things I did, but these were funny poop jokes. There were a lot of good ones. So that's my my top level. I did have a question, though, that I thought you might be able to answer. Sure. 
which is, and it's not a conspiracy theory about Boimler. Um, <laughs> but if Shax is there and Kayshun is there, who's in charge of security? Shax, the- for sure. Shax. I thought Kayshun came in to take over for Shax. I believe Shax outranks Kayshun. I think he's a lieutenant and Kayshun is a lieutenant JG, which they probably thought that through when they brought him in because they knew Shax was coming back. So, no, it's it's Shax for sure. Okay, um, thank you. And in fact, at the end of the episode, we see that Shax is in charge of one of the shifts, right? So you got a you know, right. you've got a Freeman shift, you got a Ransom shift, you got a Shax shift. Yep. You you talked about this being about Star Trek. So I'm going to there's a a thing at the end which I wondered if you think there's a meta message here. So we have the Mariner and Tendy story and Rutherford story where basically they're jaded and she's enthusiastic and she gets beaten down and we can get more to that later. But in the end, they were saying, they were kind of apologizing, saying we're, we were being punks. We should have fed off your enthusiasm and not tamp it down. Yeah. Part of me felt like that that was almost a meta message about fandom. I thought so. I definitely thought so. Let people have a good time and be fans and don't be a party pooper. Right. Yeah. Don't ruin it because it's, yeah, there's no reason to ruin it. Don't try to ruin someone else's fun, even if you're not having fun. Right. I mean, so much about Lower Decks itself anyway, because I mean, really any of the Star Trek shows, because when people don't like it, they there's a lot of energy being expended to try to make other people not like it. I don't really understand why you would want to do that. (laughs) So when someone tells me they like any show, I know, oh, I hate it. It's crap. Whatever. You guys were all enthusiastically talking about The Matrix in our Slack. And I just shut up because it's not my thing. So I just didn't say anything. I go, I don't Who cares? So, yeah, I thought they were trying to get to that. And I thought that there was also just sort of fun ways of talking about what Starfleet is supposed to be about and what Star Trek is supposed to be about. Like they had these guys all doing because it was trash day and they were cleaning up all the stuff from the senior officers. It was all this. The first of all, they all knew things like, Oh, use this hypo spray or spread this under his nose. Like everybody, they were very knowledgeable about all these different things that affected them in different ways. And it was all crazy fun and exciting and terrifying at the same time. But that's what I'm talking about. This is the classic setup of Lower Decks, which is what, you know, the, the, the senior officers are doing crazy things, you know, but what are the implications of that? And how does that literally trickle down on the Lower Deckers who have to literally clean up the messes afterwards? And that that's what this show's all about. So this was really yes. getting to the heart of this, of it, of itself, Right. They weren't even the, the lower deckers. We can still say lower deckers. Um, we're not <laughs> we're not even really aware of what was going on with the packlets. I did like, you know, we've seen this on the show before where different stories almost interact, you know, where you'd see they're kind of three groups roaming around the ship. Right. You had the red shirts with Boimler and you had Teddy and Rutherford and, and Mariner. And then you had Kayshawn and Ransom. Yeah. And very little interaction between them, but they would they would run into each other right. or see each other or stuff like that. And I thought that was I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I agree. And I like that uh, Casey, who was the leader of the Red Shirts, was the one who ended up having to deal with the 
cleaning up airlock 17 where the packlet did something unspeakable (laughs) (laughs) they really turned him into a villain this time because casey's just been kind of there right right you may not have even noticed him but he's been there um on the bridge and he's had lines you know you know they basically turned him into a jerk right well because he doesn't understand what starfleet is all about even the way they talked about riker was like they're missing like what is great about riker a kind of a repeat of episode two with riker's own crew kind of not getting riker and boimler having to teach them the meaning of starfleet now ironically in that one he did it with the rousing speech (laughs) (laughs) but you know these guys you know and this could have be another meta message maybe i'm now i'm maybe reading too much into it but these red shirt groups you know were not kind of not getting it and looking at the um surface level of starfleet yes the old texan phrase you know they they were all hat no cattle This Canadian New Yorker doesn't really relate, but I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, (laughs) us down in Texas, California, (laughs) that group were kind of the people who don't get it. Just like Riker's crew, he roused them. But, you know, he was still doing, you know, the the key was he he was doing the work. And I think there was a message in that of just you need to do the work. It's almost a life message. Right. Right. You're not living unless you're actually doing the work. Right. Like being a leader isn't just standing there and looking impressive. There's a lot more to it than that. And the best moment, of course, is when three of them were giving a speech at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Bible was like, uh, are you going to do anything? Right. They <laughs> said, like, we're inspiring the crew. And he's like, we are the crew. Like, you know, I thought Boimler was terrific. In that. Yeah, I mean, I was a little worried because he kind of dissed his friends, although they gave him permission at the beginning. This was a very smart thing they did when at the beginning Mariner said Boimler is ducking out on us with the brown nosers. But then she goes, then she compliments because she wanted to get out of the trash duty. So she kind of gave him permission to do it. Yeah. She says such a great call, which I, because I thought that did so much. It told you their relationship's good, right? Like we don't have to worry about the two of them anymore. And you didn't have to feel like he was betraying her. It was really, really well. Right. Done. I mean, he does want to advance, but whenever he saw them, he was wistful. He's like, no, those guys are great. So it wasn't, you know, cause you know, we see this, you know, it's kind of a high school drama thing of, you know, you've got the two clicks and you need to reject your friends. And, you know, it's almost feels like a John Hughes movie or something, you know, where you, 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 you know, to be cool, you need to, turn on the your geeky friends but he doesn't do it exactly but it they set it up so that it almost feels like that's what's happening but he never does it and they never think he's going to really you never get that sense um but he does want to kind of go through their little crazy fake captain training thing sure because he still is ambitious and we're also acknowledging the fact that Boimler did serve on the Titan and that does give him a little, a little pizzazz, right? Yes, I agree. Makes him a little, little, little extra cool. Um, 
<laughs> I liked when they were trying to fix his hair, though. And he says, I like my hair. I'm a cutie. This is good hair. <laughs> I, was like, I couldn't tell what that, I mean, because of this animation, like, there was shiny bits on the side. Like, did they add gray, gray to it to make yeah, it look older? It looked like they'd added a little gray tint, which my father used to joke he was doing on purpose many years ago himself. I did like that Jennifer was part of this group because we hate Jennifer, except that in the end, Jennifer kind of got it, right? Yeah, every, well, they mostly kind of got it. There was one other, sorry, great moment in the makeover scene. I love a good makeover scene, which is when the Kazinti crew member is telling oh, yeah. him about posture and goes <laughs> not like this and does exactly the way they looked in the original animated series. That was definitely a deep cut, for sure. <laughs> it was so good because they suddenly looked exactly like, and then just straightens right up again. It was funny. Now, I don't know if this is a deep cut or not, but it's more of a behind-the-scenes deep cut. But when he puts on his new uniform, on the Star Trek The Next Generation, which I, you know, Mike obviously knows, um, a lot of the actors had padded uniforms, you know, especially like um, Will Wheaton. But I think most of them did. That could be a little nod to the fact that they had fake muscles back in the, right. the old days. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were going for. There was a lot going on in this episode like that that's how that's what the thinking was i felt like throughout the episode plus a lot of good random jokes about like they had to put extra room in riker's pants for his legs <laughs> yeah there was a few risque moments like uh, you know going back to the the ransom i thought i thought that jerry connell was great in this episode he hasn't had a lot to do this season yeah really since the episode where he was a god where he had a lot to do and he had that great line of asking why the fake spy or, you know, or, or the obvious spy was, quote, defecting. And he's like, is it sex stuff? That was great. <laughs> he also, he got to be smart in this one, too. Like, they figured out that, you know, the Packlet guy instantly. There wasn't a moment. I liked, actually, that nobody was stupid. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, Boimler didn't think, oh, these people are way better than my friend. Like, there wasn't any of that kind of annoying. No. I would say almost. Well, the Packlets were, Packlets were stupid. The Packlets had enough stupid for everybody. They did get cocky, and then they lost their Packlet. Yes. That was the one moment was when they just suddenly did it. Here's the question. Does the Cerritos have a gift shop and a juice bar? <laughs> Or did they somehow create those for the pack lid? I don't even think they would have had to have had it be created. I think they just could have walked in anywhere and said, this is the gift shop. And then made him a t-shirt and a hat. With, with any yes. replicator. To quote them, we're not exactly dealing with the tell she are here. So they, right. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's when they laugh at how dumb he is and then he disappears. And I still don't know why the computer couldn't tell where he was. But I think, yeah, I think all that stuff was just, they were just kind of having a good time making stuff up. Computer, I mean, we've seen that when someone's off the ship, the computer says they're not on the ship. You know, the computer should have at least been able to say the last place he was, was in right. Airlock 17. Right. Um, which would have been the big clue. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe that would have given it away too soon. Just because yeah. the moment when they discovered him was very funny. <laughs> You know, I think Freeman and Shax both showed that they're smart on the planet. Yep. 
but here's his it, it's a little weird coming off of last week's episode and kind of the last because freeman's whole thing this season has been the rodney dangerfield i get no respect starfleet you know i'm a hero and starfleet isn't respecting me and in the last episode she kind of came to grips with it she's hanging out with the lower deckers and kind of almost accepting that she's a lower decker amongst captains I guess we missed what happened between the end of last episode when she couldn't get into the party and Starfleet's now sending her on a very important mission. I mean, this is a, you know, Shax was joking about how she's going to get an Enterprise if she pulls this off. (laughs) But how did she get this gig is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, usually I assume with the Cerritos, it's because they're the only ones there. Well, now she's going to get some big props because she got the spy to spill the beans about the bomb and yep. he he mentioned a specific kind of bomb and this does show that they are doing serialized things because in episode two Riker and his team were talking about this element that the packlids are using or mining on that planet and that's what they're going to use to make this bomb right it was a Veruvian bomb because we still don't know who the puppet masters i mean we met various levels of i love the various levels of leader on <laughs> on the uh packlin planet which was named packlin planet yes and they all thought she was captain janeway <laughs> <laughs> with the bigger and bigger helmets and then there was a revolution so i guess that guy's in charge now well now he's got the biggest helmet so <laughs> he's no longer under the tyranny of the biggest helmet but he's got the biggest helmet it was good all around. I felt just there's so many things throughout this episode from small to big that just worked and they all seamlessly work together. I think one of the things that helps with the pack leads is you need good guest actors again. And, and you know, you may not, these may not be names, you know, but Brian Posehn and Rich Fulcher did the, uh, the two kind of main pack led voices. And I think they're both, Great, very funny comedians. Perfect for Packlets too. And 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 Carl Tart was great as Kayshawn. Kayshawn is working, you know, with his weird mix of speaking normally and then throwing in, you know, little <laughs> bits of Tamarian when he gets flustered. Kind of, I think that's his kind of thing. You know, like yes. you know, if you have a, a a relative from the old country who breaks into the mother tongue every once in a while, that's kind of him, right? He said something like. It was something like, you getting Baz Minty when he pulled back the veil vibes from this guy? Like, just, <laughs> what? It was so good. Context, though. You get it in context, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I uh, Just speaking of that species, I got a nice email from my son, who's in college this morning, and it, the subject line was Darmok, and he said, we are officially watching 20 minutes of Star Trek The Next Generation in class today. And added, I hope you're charmed by the fact that this is what you're paying for, which of course I am. But they're watching Darmok this year in college classes, which is kind of awesome. So amazing that that still happens. It's you know, great. That's great, yeah. Anyway, sorry to digress, but it was a good one. But yeah, I love when he throws in. He did it one more time later, and he's just it's just funny when it throws in, and you always know the gist of what it is he's trying to say yeah so they're getting the right balance it's because it, you know too much of it would be too much but they're doing it just enough i guess we could pretty much wrap things up i mean we've i think we've covered all the storylines and the themes 
a couple little things I noticed. A little Easter egg to the to lower decks, which I like when they do their own Easter eggs at the end when she says, "Do you want to catch a Winger Bingston show?" Yep. Because <laughs> right? he did that great one man show in season one, so he's quite the celebrity on board the ship. I loved at the end when they prank called Armus, and oh. and Mariner says, "Hey, Armus, you look like a big bag of crap." And then because he's a skin of evil, Armus says, I have a flake of my power. <laughs> that Armus just made yeah, I think laugh. everyone's going to be talking about that for sure. Because yep. it's the end of the episode and it's just such a strong callback to TNG. That was great for sure. And a very useful little device. Why was it thrown out is my question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they were they're definitely very casual about all the things that were being thrown out. It's it was all good. It was most importantly, it was funny and I'm glad they've kind of moved on from things as you said. They're no they're no longer dealing with those issues. They have new issues to deal with and we're getting back to this classic thing of a what if question of what does happen to all those crazy things that you know data and picard and janeway pick up on all these planets and i guess they they all go to some other place they don't get destroyed they go to some they called it dangerous science trash and they said it had to be sent to a special facility but i imagine there's some huge starfleet warehouse like at the end of indiana jones where they're just putting all of these crazy things in this you know giant vault somewhere they're not destroying them they're right keeping them Let's hope for the sake of a future episode. <laughs> yes. Although some of these things are creatures. Yes. You know, like, like the screaming blob. <laughs> <laughs> I liked all the screaming. There was a lot of good. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I could screaming. just keep listing favorite lines, but there were too many and they're funnier when you watch the show. So I yeah. will resist. But there were quite a few good ones and lots of, you know, brown poop stain related jokes that made me chuckle i'm curious did you approve of the barfing in this episode yes the barfing was fine it's okay because it just didn't feel like like it was because someone was being i don't know there was it just was funny in the right way and it was also kind of there i'm glad you were approving because i know you're very concerned about barfing well there's barfing that bothers me and barfing that doesn't This was funny barfing. Do all shows have this much barfing or are we just noticing it? You know, I now? always think of that classic episode of The Office. It's a hard one to watch where Dwight's eating the egg and everybody yes. just starts barfing. That's the barfiest barf. <laughs> <laughs> and that one is hard to watch. Like we all in my house, we all sort of, you know, close our eyes and try to make some other sound. But but there were a lot of jokes about things being brown and brown stains and stuff like that. And of course, that was the ultimate joke of Rumdar, which was that he thought he was in the bathroom. Yes. I mean, he still thinks he was in the bathroom. The Enterprise has the biggest bathrooms ever. So <laughs> we tricked you, Janeway. So <laughs> they are not smart, but they think they are. That's right. the scary thing. I did think it was funny that before the shift was over, Freeman felt like they did such a good job, they should all go get a drink. So everybody got up and left the bridge. I assume they knew the shift was coming in. Yes, but the shift was not there yet. It was just a funny, I just never like, let's all go have a drink. (laughs) Not, oh, as soon as our shift is over, let's go have a drink. (laughs) They just got up and left. Luckily, um, Casey was there to 
be acting captain for 10 seconds. Not even. It's like half a second. So let's wrap up and do our usual. We didn't, we skipped it last week, but do you have a little fun Star Trek bit to talk about this week? Yes, I do. It's Shatner related and it's from Vanity Fair. They often post videos with famous people reacting to their own careers sometimes or talking about their own characters. This one was different in that they had William Shatner reviewing people doing impressions of him. <laughs> and it's all the classics. Why have I not seen this yet? I must see this. It's Belushi from Saturday Night Live. It's Jim Carrey from In Living Color. It's Kevin Pollack, Seth MacFarlane, Jason Alexander. The, the thing is, he really just generally doesn't like, like, he doesn't get that. But he has very funny reactions to all of them. What's funny is he he liked Jim Carrey's look because he was thin. Right. Did not, it was over, over, overacting, overdoing it. Um, he actually liked Belushi's performance, but didn't like the look. Obviously. It doesn't surprise me that he liked Belushi's performance. I'm going to watch this because it sounds great. Because Belushi cared very, very much about getting it right. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've read a lot of stuff about that sketch. And that was like a really big deal. He took it pretty seriously. He was intense about it. The The one he respected the most, Bruce Campbell, you know, from the Evil Dead movies... I was just talked say, about Bruce Campbell. He talked. He talked it from an actor's point of view, which is the reason why Shatner speaks the way he does. And I think Bill has even admitted this: is sometimes he would forget his lines. So that that's why that's why the pauses. That is also why on Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, Oscar Goldman took off his glasses a lot. <laughs> that's the same reason, and it worked. Yeah. So, very funny video. We put it up on the site, so check it out. Awesome. Um, mine is something that actually someone who commented on one of our posts a couple weeks ago, who, who goes by the moniker Just Another Salt Vampire. So, thank you, Just Another Salt Vampire. Which was that the Academy, as in the Television Academy, has uh, all these archived video interviews. And they have a whole bunch from 2006 with Rick Berman, which are really worth a watch. Whatever you think of Rick Berman, it's very interesting to get his take. They go through every cast member and all the shows and everything. And the this was brought up in the context of talking about Jean-Vierre Bujold um, and how he was the one who didn't think that she would work at all and couldn't understand why everybody else did and how he tried to scare her by telling her how awful the hours would be and she still didn't buy it. But I found all that stuff really fascinating. And the thing that he said that really got me was when he talked about <laughs> Kate Mulgrew's hair, because we've all heard, oh, she had like 10 people on set constantly talking about her hair. But what he spelled out, and I don't know that I've heard this before, is that she would have to reshoot an entire day's work because there was a specific executive at Paramount who was obsessed with hair, like to the point that it became an issue on Enterprise as well. But she would have to, she'd work all day doing these intense scenes and the next day have to do them all over again because they didn't like the hairdo. It's it's a great video. After this guy mentioned it, I had forgotten that, some of you may not know this, but TrekMovie.com has existed for a, a while, actually. And in 2009, we did an article about this video with uh, like 700 bullet points where it goes through the whole video. 
show by show and all the kind of highlights. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes to help guide you through this video because it is yeah. a great interview. And he doesn't do a lot of interviews. He he did sit down with uh, Mark and Ed Gross for the their 50-year book, um, but he really doesn't do interviews. He's going to be in the Voyager documentary. I'm really looking forward to that. And he keeps on saying he's going to write a, a, a memoir, but he's been saying that for a while. Even his pre-Star Trek life is fascinating i mean he worked with john and yoko on their films like this guy has a lot of stories to tell so and you know and the other just an interesting discussion broke out on our boards about his use of the word babe and even saying well i know it was 2006 but it wasn't the right word and i'm oddly going to defend the use of the term because i he wasn't using it to say a, a beautiful woman he was using it to talk about the role that people put on tv when they say this is a babe kind of role or a babe kind of actress i don't think he just meant woman i think he meant someone who like when seven of nine joined voyager the character was incredible but the goal from a pr standpoint was to get a babe on the show it was a term that was used a lot at the time for a very specific kind of thing and I, I honestly believe that that's what, and I'm not the kind of person who's going to defend him against, I've heard all kinds of things about him, but that particular thing didn't bother me. I think that's it. As you can tell, we do read all the comments and try to talk back to you guys. So please come tell us what you think about the episode and our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please come back next week for more news, including more interviews from Star Trek Day. And, of course, our review of Episode 7 of Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 2. We'll see you next week. Bye.